Thank you for stopping by Kaiser's Castle. Grab yourself a seat on my big orange couch. Grab yourself your coffee, tea, soda, or adult libation. Most of you know about Travis Walton, but what you don't know about is Mike Heston Rogers. And he was Travis Walton's best friend and work compatriot on the night of the fire in the sky. And with that being said, sir, as far as I'm concerned, you're what I consider the laughing patriot of love, in my opinion. <laughs> well, thank you very much, man. I, I appreciate that. I really do. Uh, <laughs> I do laugh a lot, that's for sure. But, you know, it's not because I'm on drugs. You know? I just find everything funny. And, and, you know, funny is basically what somebody finds unusual. It's an unusual thing, an unusual comment or something like that. I mean, what isn't unusual about life? My heavens, I find it all funny. I mean, that's uh, being funny is kind of a spontaneous thing. It just happens. And when I let my hair down, I find everything funny. And it disarms people. You get the truth from people. The most beautiful part is it's an honest conversation. And you can tell so much about a man. My show is about building better men. And first on my page, most people will not know uh, the backstory. So if you could give a synopsis of it and take your time, his story is because his brother in life back then was Travis Walton and they were foresters and uh, how fellows well met. Well, he is uh, still big in my life. He married my sister. Okay. Everybody seems to drift apart. But yeah, Travis is still big in my life. In fact, he comes and visits here quite often. Uh, I, I only live uh, 25 miles from him. He lives in Snowflake. I live up in Pine Top, Arizona, which is uh, up in the tall pines. Uh, <laughs> And uh, yeah, well, he comes up here and uh, sometimes to get me to sign books, you know, because he has that book is constantly being ordered, sometimes five or six at a time. So naturally, I'll, I'll sign him, although I don't make any money. From it. <laughs> anyway, that's a different story. I don't need any money. <laughs> but uh, Travis comes here and, and we talk about it. But what we talk about lately is politics, <laughs> believe it or not, because everybody is all big into the politics of things right now. And we were talking about that earlier on this on this thing you know and and i have done some things uh genuine artwork on top of what i call natural illusions or man-made illusions uh, in fact i'm writing a book right now on all that and uh so that's what i'm big into in fact this uh show uh earlier today he advertised as the the travis walton thing and a natural illusions <laughs> but we you know it was only two hour show so we didn't get into the natural illusions i mean i touched on it briefly but mainly just to show the illustrations that i've done which which illustrate uh the things that i've done the paintings that, stuff, that everybody takes as photographs uh <laughs> practically everybody uh, and i admit they do look like photographs and i say you know i don't have any artistic style because i don't even know what the hell it is but at the same time i do cartoons and i do uh all kinds of art uh but when it comes to painting like that i just i just tend to go towards what looks absolutely real which is of course photorealism <laughs> so so there you are with that but anyway yeah you mentioned that on the show uh where you actually do photographs that are like 3d correct uh not yeah. photographs but paintings that was featured on the fire in the sky book cover is that yes, correct that's right uh, it sure was in fact i've uh, back before my uh ability wasn't full-blown 
uh, although it looked pretty good, some of that stuff. I, I illustrated his first book, which was The Walton Experience, which I came up with the title for. But uh, and nevertheless, uh, his second book, uh, the the cover and all kinds of there is some there is a couple of things. They're like the back cover has a picture of an alien, which I have since redone to make it look absolutely real. You know, but on his book, it looks uh, like a like a drawing. It's it's pretty good, but but it's you know it's obviously not photorealistic. But the new one I have, which is a, a thing that I've done over the top of a natural illusion, is uh, does look like a photograph as far as I. Can tell i mean i've gotten a lot of comments on it that way <laughs> there you go <laughs> and, folks his laughter is contagious because the joy is real this man he was on angel's program without an angel thank god um i would never have uh accidentally a joyful accident have met mike heston rogers there are many times in my life I've had joyful accidents, and this is one that is totally awesome. And with that being said, yes, please delve into that night or that day and leading into that night. Okay. And so folks understand what Fire in the Sky was actually about, and not the muff fake of Hollywood. But and November I think, 5th, 1975. You already said I was driving the truck. It was my crew. Travis was my employee and five other guys. There were seven of us in the truck. It was a crew cab, you know, an international crew cab. It was uh, rather quiet. Of course, we, was only, we were only going five miles an hour. Everybody started noticing this light coming through the trees. Even though I was only doing five miles an hour, I was only going that fast because the road was so rough. It had been closed uh, by the uh, logging that had taken place in this area just before to where we were working. We had to go through it in order to get out. And the road had been uh, had big humps of dirt pushed up. In fact, we had to kind of, you know, get shovels and stuff and bring those down a bit to even get around. We'd go around one side, left or right. And so that's what I was doing. I was going so slow because I had to, these, these humps were like a hundred feet apart. I mean, they really seriously closed that road. And uh, so, you know, this international crew cab, even though it was fairly high, uh, it made for that kind of thing. I had to go around these humps. And so we were going slow and uh, my truck was quiet, had a good muffler on it. We come around that corner and broke into that clearing. And I think that we surprised them, uh, whoever they are, uh, because and Travis, you know, being Travis, you know, <laughs> he was both grandstanding for us uh, and uh, he was very curious. OK, uh, he jumped out of the truck. Uh, without even saying anything. I mean, he said, stop the truck, Mike. You know, but other than that, he, he just jumped out of the truck and he, and he headed up that way. And uh, he, he got slower as he went. Okay. But when he got up there, he uh, got to thinking, I guess, you know, we've talked about this since many times, actually. Uh, he didn't, he wasn't going so quickly. In fact, he slowed down to, to a kind of a crawl almost. He wasn't crawling, but he was, you know, and uh, he was cautious, okay? He realized at that time, and he told me that he uh, he jumped out of the truck so quickly because he wanted to see it and because he was going to grandstand for the guys because he, that's his thing, okay? And uh, he stood up there, and this thing, I could tell where it was. Uh, I remember everything exactly. I mean, uh, so clear, Uh it's that's uncanny too. I I feel like for the, about the last thirty years or so of my life, somebody's put me on autopilot 
and I'm just along for the ride uh, because I really feel that way. I have no idea how in the world I can paint the way I do or write the way I do. Uh, I know what makes me laugh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> anyway, it all makes me laugh. <laughs> but anyway, uh, he was he was standing up there, and uh, he looked back at us. Uh, with concern in his eyes and several of the guys saw that right and i had to i couldn't see this thing at first i had to, i had to push ken kind of ken looked back at me like what in the world are you doing you know but he didn't say that he just just i was that expression on his face as i had to put my head almost in his lap to to look up you know cause this thing was immediately to the right by this time and i hadn't even seen it yet because we broken that clearing it was already above us it was up up on the ridge, and it was up about 15, 20 feet in the air. So uh, I'd lean over like that. And when I did, oh my gosh, I, I didn't believe in UFOs, okay? Uh, even though we had an, had an experience about five five years earlier than that, but it wasn't a close experience. It was, uh, it was pretty close, but it, it wasn't like this one. And uh, so I... We talked about UFOs like that, especially because of that thing that happened. But you know, being the five years earlier, that was the first time, the very first thing. And and uh, even even Travis was there, which is remarkable. Uh, and we we kind of passed it off as it had to be something else, had to be something else. So when this thing happened to us, you know, in 1975, November 5th, uh, he was shocked by it. <laughs> he was very curious, but he was still shocked, and he, and he became. Because this thing wasn't scary at first, okay? It hadn't done anything yet. It was just amazing. But I'd never never seen a UFO before, at least not that close. And uh, so I was just flabbergasted, seriously. And uh, and Travis looked back with concern, and they, they, they decided to go down. And, uh, there was a log sticking out of this pile that he had, that had stopped me, him from getting right under it, okay? Uh, he's standing there and he's crouched down kind of behind this log that wasn't really that big. It was just kind of a response, you know, it gets hide from something, right? Because uh, it didn't, that little log didn't really offer much, much. It was like maybe, I don't know, 12 inches in diameter. It didn't really offer him any protection. Of course, it wouldn't have anyway, but uh, he did that. And, uh, you know, while those few seconds, oh, this whole thing didn't take like a minute, maybe. Uh, Anyway, he decided he better get out of there. I mean, everybody in the truck was yelling at him by this time, right? Get the hell out of there, Travis, and, and all kinds of words to that effect. And and this thing was making noise. Uh, it was the most awesome thing any of us had ever seen. I mean, uh, just like Travis, I was astonished, but I was not panicked at that point. Not until Travis stood up, okay? And he was hit by this beam I don't know what it was. Uh, Travis and I both have had all kinds of concepts uh, passed around, uh, anything we can think of, but it was a straight-sided beam. It wasn't like electricity or something. It was a straight, I painted it that way. It hit him in the head and chest and blew him back, uh, blew him back and up in the air at the same time. And he hit the ground uh, just hard and on the flat of his back, and he didn't move after that. And uh, right at that point, everybody in the truck was saying, get the hell out of here. I'm, 
I needed to truck, turn the truck back on because I had turned it off in order to lean over in Finn's lap and look up at this thing. And uh, so I turned the truck back on, but I wasn't so immediate to leave because I realized, you know, you know, we can't just take off, right? But they were yelling at me, okay? And I, they were my crew. I was responsible for them. So right, that's not guy. knowing, Yeah, not knowing exactly what we're in for here. I mean, they, everybody just sweetened us something that looked very, very dangerous, very bad. I mean, he looked like it looked like he killed him, right? And, uh, and so I went ahead. I took the parking brake off. I had it started. And I took off down the road. And, of course, since I was in a bit of a panic myself by this time, I went down that road rather fast. And uh, it was a bad road, you know. And the truck did it bounced because of those humps and stuff and the guys go bouncing around that's one thing that was uh very close to where the, the movie was very accurate in that respect uh i did break mirrors off uh hit the side of a tree uh, uh and they were just bouncing around that truck <laughs> I have said several times since that those guys, if the thing what you saw didn't scare them, my driving sure as hell did. You know? <laughs> anyway, I managed to stop, you know, a quarter of a mile away and, uh, and they were still all in a big tither and, and just yelling. They didn't know it. They were, they were so confused and so excited and so panicked. Uh, it was terrible. I mean, but, you know, I, I, I was the boss of the crew. I, I had my wits a little more about me, and that's why I stopped, okay? And so, right. I, yeah, you're go ahead. responsible go ahead. for everybody. You're responsible so, for everybody. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, I was. That's right. And, uh, and, and in more ways than one, personally, and also liability, you know. I don't know how anybody could have got an in. If somebody would have been hurt, I don't know how they got a, uh, my insurance to pay for something. But but I definitely felt responsible for them personally. And uh, anyway, I stopped, and they're still yelling and everything. I said, "Look, guys, uh, we left him there. We 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 got to go back. We got to go back." You know, and and they didn't like that idea. So I got out of the truck. I said, "Well, I'm I'm going back." But they weren't getting out of the truck, and they didn't want to go back. So I get out of the truck, and I and I go out in front of the truck. And just as soon as I get out of the truck, the guys start piling out, okay? And, of course, everybody goes to the headlights, right? Because it's dark. <laughs> right. And and when I got out, and then a couple of the other guys saw this, too. They saw this thing, which was just a light. You, a quarter of a mile away in the woods, you can't see anything but just a, a light, you know. Uh, we don't, you don't see the light directly except for just little glimmers of it, right? And it raised up back there a quarter of a mile away, and it literally streaked off towards the northeast, and uh, at least a couple of the other guys saw this. I know that because it was a uh, John Gallette's one of them. And uh, anyway, I knew from that that it was gone. Uh, we didn't need to worry about that anymore. The only thing I was worried about was whether what Travis was, what his situation was, because he hit the ground hard and he looked right. he looked like he was dead. Okay. So uh, without going through this story too much, I mean, it took me a while to get that truck turned around because that road was very narrow and hard. Uh, so we had to go up the road away. So I, I won't go, get into all that, but anyway, turn it around eventually. And, and when I, before I even did that, all these guys got back into the truck because they didn't want to leave stand by the side of the road. And uh, that's a departure from the movie. I mean, the movie's departure from the real life there because the movie did a lot of things like that. And uh, a lot of people say they exaggerate. Hollywood's always exaggerated. No, they downplayed this this real story. They downplayed it bad. Why in the I world would Paramount, or the writers, Tracy Torme, and by the way, he wasn't the only one, 
Uh, they had two writers go up up to Oregon where they filmed this thing and sat there and rewrite a whole bunch of it. it. It wasn't all Tracy's fault. But nevertheless, Tracy wouldn't let us see that part of the script. They didn't let us see those changes. This this thing where, where only I go back, that wasn't in the script. <laughs> yeah, the, the whole crew went back, right? It wasn't just, just yourself. It was the entire crew that went right. back together. Yeah, yeah. all of us. Would you want to stand by the side of the road in the dark after what just happened? Well, they didn't. I mean, they might have wanted to, okay, but they were, you know, they want to stick with me, the boss, for one thing, and they, they, uh, they all respected me, and uh, I was going to go back, and they didn't want to stand in the dark, so they all got back in the truck. I had just and as logical as anything. They probably were concerned about Travis too. I mean, that's a brother. You guys. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, some of the like Alan Dallas and Travis didn't like each other. They had a little conflict early in the day. In fact, I kicked out Alan's ass about four days before that. That was a, that's a whole different story in itself. We went really slow. Okay, I did. And uh, I pulled that truck up in that clearing. And it was kind of like uphill, you know. Uh, so I couldn't go real far. But I shone the lights of the truck up on that area where Travis had been. That's when I was the most concerned. Because I thought we might find a dead, charred body. Okay? I really did. And they did, too. Right. Uh, but after we arm and arm, almost arm and arm, and they, they got as close to me as they could. And, of course, we converged in front of the headlights again. And we walked around there very carefully and slowly. And, and we had one flashlight. Okay. I always carried it in the glove box and uh, we walked up around the clearing and then we made another circle and then it, then we went up at, out out of the clearing into the trees and and at one point when we're like all of a sudden done after we we couldn't find him anywhere no trace of him what looked like an emotional breakdown it might have been but it wasn't for what they all thought it's not what everybody's thought since then I wasn't crying <laughs> because of what happened. I, it was actually tears of joy. Uh, even John Gallette will say that to this day. Mike broke down, you know, and and John, <laughs> I mean, Steve, he says, you're the only one that cried. <laughs> Nonsense. Yeah, I cried, but it wasn't because I was crying. It was because I, it was tears of joy. I swear to God, it was. You know why? Because because he had been taken. They, and they knew that they'd taken him. I knew why. Because he was dead, or, or at least close to dead, and whoever it was took him to fix him. Uh, in any case, yeah. he was fine, okay? And I was just very happy that uh, we didn't find a charred body. That's why I was broke down. I, at least I looked that way. I, I was over, emotionally overwrought, but it was, it was tears of joy. Uh, Travis was my best friend. He still is, kind of, you know. But, uh, uh, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Travis has has all got all kinds of reasons to be jealous of me since then. I mean, uh, the 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 illustrations I did for his first book, I got paid three times more for those than he did for the book itself. And and when this new book came out, same thing. <laughs> and and the and the the you know in the movie Robert Patrick. He's a good guy, a real good guy. By the way, I've almost got him agreed to be on my show, okay? <laughs> but uh, anyway. Ain't, ain't that a pisser? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. All right. Come on, he's, he's a Terminator. You can't beat that. I can... Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, Travis is, uh, you know, the movie actually uh, showed my part over twice as much as they did Travis. And that has really affected him. I mean, he won't say so, but you can tell. And 
and I interpreted it as jealousy. In fact, there's lots of things. He's jealous of me now because of this show that I have, okay? And uh, and I can do things that he can't. Uh, he's a, a good writer, <laughs> although I wrote part of his book. <laughs> and I illustrated it. Uh, he, he is, he's a two-dimensional thinker, okay? He won't even admit to that. He thinks he's wide awake and everything. He can't draw nothing. He he plays a little guitar, but not nearly as good as my son, who's a guitar virtuoso, literally. I mean, he's amazing. And uh, I mean, I'm not kidding here. My son is spectacular. <laughs> and he's lived here since he was 29. I, yeah. I believe, brother. Uh, but the point is, so what happened after um, all that? transpired and how you got back and the way you were treated because that is well okay absolutely horrible because it both went state and federal and i still don't comprehend how it went federal oh uh, you know that the sheriff and and, uh uh ken ken uh not ken peterson (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the undersheriff, Ken Copeland, okay, who was a, Ken Copeland was a complete skeptic, absolutely, he would say things that were just absurd, he was so skeptical, sort of like Philip Class, you know, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they came down on us, uh, and ever since, and you know, Travis has never been affected by any of that, not any of that, I've had to take care of it all, uh, especially with uh, Phil Class. And, and of course, the polygraphs and everything. Since then. Yeah. Uh, well, of course, it was it was my crew. Right. And uh, yeah, we went down there and took right. the polygraph test to make a long story short. And the, the examiner, Cy Gilson, uh, at first didn't believe. I mean, he uh, he didn't. And, and he took Steve Pierce first because Steve was only 17 at the time, which I didn't know. But uh they just was going by the, the baby face kind of a thing, you know, and Steve was kind of catatonic. He had been ever since the experience. Uh, and he cried. You know? <laughs> he didn't like that, but that's the fact. And even John Gallette and the others will say so. Nevertheless, uh, they took him first uh, because uh, uh, Cy Gilson told me after that, and I've talked to Cy, he became my friend, okay? Cy Gilson said he took him first because he figured to be the first one to break down because at that time he was yep. still, he's still a skeptical. And, and so that's what happened. And then it went on. And of course, Alan Dallas, who didn't Travis and him didn't like each other. And then had an incident that day where, uh, Alan had almost hit him with the tree deliberately. I know it was should do deliberate because they, they had some bad blood. All right. Well, <laughs> He didn't have bad blood at me. I was the boss, of course, but I'd, I'd kick his ass thoroughly just a few days before that. I seriously. Right. Uh, yeah. He 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 eventually bleeding and everything. He ran across the street and started yelling at me from across the other side of the street. <laughs> anyway, tangent back again. Okay. Here we are taking polygraph tests. <laughs> and Alan Dallas didn't uh, pass his. Now, he did pass. Uh, this something else I found out later. Cy Gilson told me that uh, in fact, it's documented. Alan Dallas passed the first two run-throughs. You see, the with polygraph tests, they do three good polygraph tests. Real ones. I mean, uh, I know there's these that you know they just you buy it, you know, and it's not it's not a skeptic sponsored polygraph test. It's just a uh, you buy it, right? 
And so they like, uh, I, I don't even know why they bother asking questions because all they do is just hand out, hey, you passed, right? <laughs> anyway, this was genuine. Uh, this guy was serious. The police were serious. Uh, the incident was serious. And and while we were in the hurt house, uh, we, we weren't going to leave. They weren't going to let us leave. And when we were done with our uh, polygraph test, they put us outside in a big courtyard that had 12 foot walls and a barbed wire fence over the top of it. It was like a prison play yard to sort of like, but it was an old one because they since moved that prison to uh, way further up the hill. Nevertheless, uh, (laughs) that's where they put us. And they had a a guard standing at the door. You couldn't even go back in unless you had to go to the restroom or something. And then they would lead you there. So we were in prison. Do you know that in the state of Arizona, at least at the time, you didn't need a body to be convicted of murder? Those polygraph tests that would have failed them would have put us in prison. Convicted of murder. Eventually, probably. Unless the jury saw some leniency. I don't know. Easily. And and the funny part about it is... Uh, the po- Polygraph Institute was at Fort McClellan, Alabama when I was in the 80s. And so that would have been the same thing in the 70s. And that's federally both arm The Army just sponsored it. Um, the funny thing is, you said something very correctly on that, on the polygraph thing. Uh, I'm not trying to hijack it, just trying to tell you why that happened. I bet when you were uh, being interviewed, they had the uh, AC kicked way up. Your hands were cold. Uh, it it monitors your pulse, mm-hmm. your... Uh, Galvanic skin response. Everything. Well, they say that, but it's respiration, perspiration, and aspiration. You know, you're breathing. Yeah. So well, it's other things too. Well, they, uh, the, the they examiner, yeah, the, the examiner actually uh, gives you trick questions. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and yeah. they do it. They they run you through it three times. Yeah, exactly. I know because because uh-huh. I've had polygraph tests since then by the same guy, and I still passed them. So did Travis. So did Alan Dallas, who who didn't have his. Uh, he he was considered at least considered inconclusive at the time. I've had them because of my clearance, so I I understand. You're right. It's three times, and it's always the same. And that's right. These yeah. are things yes. people don't understand that you can buy one. I could buy one. Uh, a lawyer could buy one, but it's also inadmissible at court now. But back in your yeah, day, so I so do so do the real polygraph tests. Right, because because you can buy one. They don't. They make these real tests inadmissible too, at least in most states. Maybe all of them. I I believe it's all fifty states. Honestly, I could be wrong, but federally, they'll still admit them into court, but it's given a jaundiced eye. So the better part is, um, at this point. You've been questioned locally and through the state, honestly. You probably had somebody there from the state. And this is coming from a former federal cop. Uh, 
you've probably had those two things and then they introduce the feds and that is the point that i still don't understand well i got run through by the feds that's for damn sure and travis never did I, matter of fact you know it wasn't very long ago i had a whole bunch of money disappear from my bank account by the irs on the sly and i finally got to it wow they they didn't say who did it but i'm certainly it was, i know it was the federal government I, well hell the irs is the federal government but uh but i know i had it went deeper than that it, they they were still trying to get me you know after all those all that time and and they start taking money out of my account lots of money <laughs> i've always made a good income but you know at some point i noticed that too much money is disappearing you know and i go to the bank and they uh, they first won't say anything so uh, i don't know, two or three days later i go back in there and i raise hell right in front of everybody standing in line and everything i said God damn it. I want to know. I want to know what's going on because you guys are allowing money to disappear from my account and I want to know why. So the make manager took me aside and back into another room where nobody could hear. She says, yeah, the IRS is taking money out of your account. So there you go. And they gave it back to me because I didn't owe them anything. I didn't owe them a dime. And I have a couple of apology letters from them talking about how the, and they pay me back. And then it took them four months to pay me back four months. But they, when they did, they gave it to me with good interest. So, you know, uh, yeah, but usually that's for like drug laundering, this kind of thing, laundering money. And so that's all yeah. A BS thing they do, but I knew it was just just because the government's been after me ever since. Not yeah. ever since. I I can tell you, uh, here, gosh, about oh eight years ago, I met a guy dumping my garbage. Okay, and he introduced himself. Well, actually, I first saw him right in my house. Okay, he he claimed to be uh, an investigator for Social Security. I thought, gee, that's funny. Uh, why would they do that? You know, well, I tripped him up because he started talking about the incident, you know, about the, the government way back in 1976, who'd come in and, and started investigating me and everything. And I knew the name of the guy, but I had written a story about that and it was a fictitious story. Okay. I used a different name and this guy used the guy's right name. I said, okay. I know who you are now. I know what this is all about. I, and, and so they didn't bother me for another, I don't know, several months. And, and then I met this guy and he said, and he, he was, he was back there in the, in the, in the garbage area. Right. And, uh, and it was in the dark, in the middle of the night, in the dark, which I do that. Cause I'm an adult too sometimes. And I, and I brought, took my garbage out there and, and there he is. And he kind of startled me at first. And, you know, to make a long story short, he told me that they were they were surveilling my house still, okay, and that they had equipment where they could actually see through the walls. They knew everything was going on. It was all being taped constantly, all the vocal, everything. And he proved it to me. <laughs> and yeah. he, had this, he had this device in his pocket. I knew about three-dimensional sound because I developed it uh, 20, 22 years ago. I mean, no, uh 29 years ago, okay, I had a corporation called Ultraphonics, okay? I developed it. Uh, it, it was a, a method of hearing, uh, just like uh, surround sound, you know, but it was with two, two headphones, two speakers, 
And it's perfect, uh, even more perfect than surround sound because it was everywhere sound. I mean, I understood those things and I and I put that together. Anyway, here he is standing here, you know, in the dark by a pine tree and my garbage. And he, he says, uh, he told me all this stuff. So he has this little device in his pocket and he showed it to me because this guy liked me. Okay. He liked me by that time and he realized what was going on. He realized I'm a nice guy. Okay. And uh, he admitted to me all this stuff. And this device was worked on three-dimensional sound. Just, just like I had discovered, and uh, and that's part of the reason why I showed it to me. He's already knew about all that stuff, and uh, you could put earbuds in your ears, okay. And you could tell where anything was around, even in the dark. You could hear if somebody was 100 feet away. And it did it by by short, you know, like uh, sort of like bat bleeps, you might say. But it was it was sounds that you get, audible sounds. But it, but it had a different, uh, it, would, it would, the sounds would grow closer together the closer the object got. And they would be further apart the further away something was. But you could tell where an airplane in the sky was. And you could watch it go across the sky with sound, okay? You could see exactly where it was on the base of sound because those clicks would come exactly from the spot that the, the object was. And it would, it, right. would, it would signal itself in, in terms of these clicks, these uh, beeps and you know, bumps and stuff that to interpret. And it, it would do it. The heavier, uh, the heavier sound it made, it was, it was the larger the object was. And the lighter the beep, the smaller the object was. But it, but it would tell you exactly where it was, even in the dark. I mean, anywhere. Yeah. yeah. And, and I wasn't amazed by it. I wasn't amazed by that because I already thought of doing that. Okay. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah. But see what confounded me with your story with Angel. Um, look, here's how this works. Um, if it was just like kidnapping or something like that you got nine years um that the investigation goes on right if if it's a murder that's forever okay yeah. but there was no it murder might, might even hang you but there's no murder the maximum thing I could see them looking in at you is 20 years, okay? That's uh, all of your life right there. The 20 of your best year. It's 11 years if the IRS is looking at you, if they think you're moving money. And none of it made sense for any federal attention, except for one thing. They either classified it back then, and they can always go to the secret court, the FISA court, to get new warrants. And that was under, that was in 2001 when that was established. Um, that is the thing that worries me because I think if your lawyer's good and he looks at uh, everything, especially now with what they did to our own president, um, there's been an abuse somewhere because nothing you did, honestly, in my opinion, federally, as a former federal agent, nothing in a federal officer, um, nothing you did would have raised the ire. National security, now that's lifetime. But I'm sure you've flown out of the U.S. since then and mm -hmm. and went to meetups. And this is the problem that I see. 
if you're flying out unmolested, not being stopped internationally, and that's through customs, uh, CBP, and that's Immigration and Customs Enforcement, and also Border Patrol included, if you're able to bounce back across borders without spending two hours of dicking your time before you meet your flight, your get reunited with your car or boat, it makes no sense to me. And so that means they're targeting people. And mm-hmm. my last agency was with, I worked for CBP. And that's why I said nothing. And you got to remember, federal agencies all have different jurisdiction. I've seen three of their jurisdiction. Yeah. I'm not impressed. And that is why there's an abuse and you have relief under 1984 color of law. That means you can go after everybody who did it. Talk to your lawyer criminally. 1983 color of law is civil. I've had all kinds of dealings with the court since then. All kinds. Uh, They have been harassing me that way. And, of course, you and I both know who was doing it. Uh, It's the damn government hired skeptics. And they're government hired. There's no yep. doubt of that. I mean, we found a very strong evidence of that. Of course, you, you can't ever, I mean, well, you could, but we haven't actually, I'm, I'm talking Travis and I here, we haven't actually pinned anything totally to the wall, but it becomes so, so obvious. Uh, and and uh, it's, it's not just a claim, okay? Because none of this stuff, in fact, I want to tell you about something that happened to me, okay, in 1976. Okay, didn't happen to Travis, but me. They they came at a, uh, this also talks is talking about synchronicity and uh, unbelievable things like just what happened with our meeting here tonight. <laughs> My gosh, uh, so I can't explain it. I, I still don't know what happened, but just just like that, this federal criminal investigator, a federal criminal investigator, came right to me at a family reunion on Saturday, and he had eight indictments of me. Eight indictments. I didn't. I, I didn't even know I was being charged. I didn't even know I was under investigation. But I was, because that's what indictments are. And uh, a bunch of nonsense, all based on uh, suppose me creating a fictitious character. Well, guess what? That fictitious character's name was Charles Rogers. And he was at, he normally lives in Mexico. See? Because <laughs> we're part I see Mexican. That. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. anyway, my grandma was Mexico. Anyway, uh, this guy, we met at this family reunion. It was in Snowflake, okay? <laughs> and this guy's right there with these eight indictments. And it's all based, I read all through it, you know, he showed me, I read through the whole thing. They were all based on creating this fictitious character named Charles Rogers. And just a clear blue sky. I mean, I mean, how much more synchronicity can you get? Because it's definitely not a coincidence. My brother was there and he normally wouldn't be. And not only that, but but he had his driver's license with him. He doesn't usually even use it in the United States. Uh, in fact, I think it's fake driver's license, okay? But uh, I, I said, Charles, uh, he was standing over there close. Uh, Charles, come over here. <laughs> you know, he did. I said, show this guy your ID. And I didn't know if he had it on him. Yeah, he did. And he even had his birth certificate in his pocket. I, yeah, I just I, I just can't understand it. I mean, I never have been able to. Anyway, he showed this federal investigator, you know, that he's a real person. And of course, we're at a family reunion. So this guy started walking around asking people, is this you know, is this guy for real? <laughs> of course, he's right there. Well, who is he? You know, <laughs> he's Charles Rogers. <laughs> well, wh- this guy was uh, nevertheless 
uh, he left there and he spent an entire month investigating every aspect of my life after that. Still after me. Even though oh, the yeah. indictments had been proven to be nonsense, uh, he, he dug into everything. He made me go through my income taxes and every damn thing in the world. They were after me. They were after me big time and they weren't giving up. And uh, I beat it that, all. It was all, that, it was all bullshit right from the start. Well, that I will tell you is something that's so messed up about our system uh the biggest part of it uh i had an abusive my mother's boyfriend was abusive and so because of that i always used jack swisher as my cover name okay because if somebody said jack or swisher i would turn okay that's just some ancillary bullshit federal cops and any cop can lie to you okay you can't lie to them especially yeah. the yeah, feds i know i know those because, laws definitely yeah be, because they'll get you on um zero, zero 001 okay and do you think That's it's going to get any better under socialism no I sure oh, as hell don't. oh oh no it's it's going to get worse um, yeah a lot worse but see that's the difference honor integrity valor the things that mean something to a human being and i'm a bastard i learned this in the military without my mentors i'd be nothing and i wouldn't be the man i am today and that's why my page is dedicated to making men better not being afraid of people not not being cowards not being the people that nobody wants to be around it's about conducting yourself with a modicum of dignity, even if you're fucked up, and I mean that, even if you're messed up way beyond repair, if you're you talking about the, mentally or physically, no, I mean, it's not mentally, I'm saying, um, uh, personally, we have to go mental, personal, and business wise. So, you so you basically, you mean all of those things, all those three things. Even if one of those are failures, you still maintain your dignity because there's sometimes you have to sacrifice your personal things to go undercover, especially if you go deep. And I've done that a couple of times. Yeah, well, I'll tell you something. I don't have to go deep. I just, I'm in the paranormal, you know, and, and I tell the yeah. truth. Always tell the yes. truth. And yes. people hate me for it. They hate me for it. No, but you are, that's the whole thing that makes me so happy you're a joyous warrior. Yeah, <laughs> but you're, you're a thinker, see? A lot of these people in the paranormal, I, I, I belong to like 14 of these paranormal groups, and several of them have just uh, dismembered me. <laughs> dismembered me, right? Because of, I, all I do is tell people the truth, and these people just hate it. They call me all kinds of names and everything. But I'm, you know, I stay with it. I stay with it. Uh, I maintain my I, dignity. You know, I honestly think the groupings, and it doesn't matter what group you go with. I mean, I've gone to uh, people that love uh, air guns. Okay, that's a grouping. Paintball, right? Uh, no, no, not paintball. I'm talking about actually high speed and oh, telling you how to build high speed air guns that are like rifles. 
Yeah, shoot real bullets, in other words. For for a project. Yeah. Um, uh, I've had to go to all kinds of things in the skin trade, which we're not getting into on this conversation. I've had to go into all these different groups. And the paranormal, besides far left and the far right, all of them have one thing consistent. They will go after anybody. But the far left and far right will go after those they think drifted out of their purity spiral, where the other ones just go after anybody. It could be a simple bullshit idiosyncrasy quirk of somebody, but not the left, far left and far right. They go after people on the purity spiral. They're not pure enough. I don't see that in the UFO thing. I see that they go after people just to go after people just for, it's like sport to them. And I saw that with somebody angel really likes uh, when he went after um, Bob Lazar. Mm-hmm. And that's all I'm going to say. I'm not mentioning names because I don't purity spiral. Uh, and I'm, I, I, I know don't... what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so with that being said, that doesn't shock me. It surprises me they didn't see you for the joyous warrior you are. Mm-hmm. So please continue with your story. And I gave you some backup on the real yeah um that you are telling as far as i've i'm hearing that's why i was so confused with the federal angle because i just don't see why the feds except there was somebody holding a grudge against you Mm -hmm. against travis there was somebody looking for a chink in the armor, and there was name was name was Philip Class. Yes, he's not the only skeptic that was, by the way. But but he was the main one. And I uh, agree with you. So just carry on, brother, and you tell the story, man. I just wanted. To I didn't even remember story. where we were to tell you the truth. Uh, uh, as far as the story is concerned, we were talking about the polygraph test, and it went from there. Yeah, <laughs> about them continually investigating you. Oh, yeah, you That's bet. where we're at. So. Right to this very day, yes. right to this very day. And a lot of people don't believe that. You know, even Travis Walton doesn't believe that because he's never been harassed by them. They are they're surveilling him, too, but he doesn't know it. Mike, but, you know, uh, what was put in the movie that uh, really it took me by surprise when I found out it was inaccurate uh, was that MUFON was actually uh, not in the uh, actual story itself. I mean, they didn't show up the scene as it's shown in the movie. Is yeah. that correct? In fact, the guy gives me a card in the movie, right? Afar. <laughs> A-F-A-R. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're we're from afar. Uh, there was some humor in the movie. People didn't see it, but I did. Yeah, afar. Lots of fictitious characters in the movie. Nonsense. Oh, like I said, downplay. Yeah. The whole movie yeah. was not only changed; it was downplayed big time because the real story would have just blown people away. It's like it did did us, and uh, you know, because the federal government influences them heavily. Probably even pays them for it. You know, do this instead. We don't. We don't want this. We don't want this. Like, so you're going to have to screw this movie up every way you can. 
you still call it real, like based on a true story. Yeah, I vaguely, can, vaguely based on a true story. I can confirm that, even yeah. with some of the small producers. The yeah. one thing I talked about, they changed several things. So uh, and they, things and, they don't need to change. Things that aren't logical. Yes, to change. yes. They're just they're and, just done for one reason to downplay. Yes, and the other thing I'll say about this, it's the only thing I'll say is I've actually advised in Hollywood. Um, last one was Mile 22. And, you know, uh, and they made up for it. They they tried to make up for it. Uh, Travis just uh, went ahead and signed their deal and everything. But when it came to, uh, even though they had told Travis that I was a hermit living in the woods, didn't want anything to do with any of this, of course, that wasn't true. Paramount flew me out to L.A. to meet with Paramount attorneys, which I did. And uh, they were very gracious and everything. Because by this time, they had learned, okay, that I was a force to be reckoned with, I guess. And so they set me down at this big, long table in Paramount, you know, three attorneys. And they were on the other side of the table. And the, the, they asked me, you know, okay, we want you to do the promotion for this movie. Why don't you go on tour with Travis, okay? Uh, he's already signed, okay, but we haven't got you. So so what do you want for this tour? So realizing the situation, I took a piece of paper from them and I put a figure on there and I put underneath non-negotiable. I'm not going to tell you what that figure is, but it's a hell of a lot of money, okay? Because I kind of figured I had them over the barrel. I knew what they were doing and I'm pretty damn sure they were going to agree to it. And they did. <laughs> I will tell you something that will blow you away. Okay. I, get it. I get it completely because... I don't talk money if I'm taking a job until the job is real. <laughs> well, if you and, can do that, that's good, yeah. Well, no, that's how I operate because of what I do. And um, once they're like, yep, but here's the, here's the trade-off is I'm responsible. And just like you were, that's why I've said numerous times and why I have so much respect for you, Joyful Warrior. And I mean that totally what did you seriously. Just call me? Joy, oh, yeah. Okay. Joyful Warrior. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And I'm the same way. I don't care. I, I'm just like, I know I didn't do anything wrong. It, it all comes from being unbiased. You see, I have been totally unbiased for a long time, which just simply means that uh, I don't preconceive anything. That's what bias is, preconception. I'm not a wishful thinker. I just simply go for reality for what it really is, and I don't give a damn one way or the other. I don't, ha I don't care how it affects me personally. I really don't. I want to make decisions on the basis of facts, and the only way to find those facts is to be unbiased, and uh, you can only do that without preconception. You don't, you don't, don't preconceive anything. Okay. And uh, this so, is, yeah, this go ahead. This is why I love you because you're not just unbiased. <laughs> I've got I'm happy laugh. about it too, right? <laughs> you're, you know, you're unbridled. Nobody has a bit in your mouth and are, is riding your back. That's you right. are unbiased and unbridled. And see, that's the point of being a man. I had to learn that. Mm -hmm. If you knew how many years it took me in adulthood to become unbridled, you would absolutely laugh with joy saying, <laughs> well, welcome to the party. And that's why I'm so impressed that you're such a joyful warrior. I honestly hope you put parentheses on your show. 
Joyful Warrior. So, that would be kind of a brag, and I'm not going to do that. I do have a happy. couple of bylines that I don't really use, except, you know, like I say, you know, <laughs> eager believers, as I call them, you know, people just believe in everything, you know. Eager believers are, are, are such wishful thinkers. They're so glazed over with bias that they can't see the wishful forest for the wishful trees. Yep, bias and also, like I said earlier, it's not just bias. They they are ardent believers mm-hmm. in something which is horrible. Um, they will be the first to believe any smear to anybody without asking a question. First thing I remember from the 70s uh, and early or late 60s, I never heard anybody say that's a Democrat, don't vote for him. That's a Republican, don't don't vote for him or don't be around him. Let me rephrase that. Never heard that. And now we see that in a new century. How did that happen? It's nothing but disintegrating people from society. And that's an old Stasi trick. Well, I'll tell you what. Blaze Noto, who was you know, gay, he performed. I mean, he really performed as far as doing his job and stuff. And he was such a nice guy. I, I asked him one time in a meeting, you know, I said, hey, Blaze, uh, how about if my sister Dana, who is Travis's wife, Travis didn't want her to go on this tour. I said, how about my sister and my girlfriend, who is my girlfriend at the time, had been about 20 years. In fact, uh, we had Heston, my husband, they with me all his life. He was three years old at the time. Okay. And Blaze said, well, yeah, no problem. <laughs> I didn't expect him to do that, but he did. And I talked, I had a beer with Blaze. I, you know, talked to him many times. I mean, cause he was on this tour. Okay. At one of the entourage. You know? And uh, he never acted gay. He, he just performed. He just did his job. And yep. he was a good guy, a really good guy. A there man's man. There, that's right. A man's man. I got called to a barracks, uh, 14031 at Camp Pendleton. All you folks who are Marines may remember that barracks. And it was for a sodomy case. Oh. And and it was a brother of mine. I'm not going to say his name. Brother in arms. Yeah, brother in arms. And But it was still Hollywood, you know. Jeez. Oh, anyway, yeah. yeah. You know, I've gotten into some things lately, uh, these natural illusions and stuff that has taken me into a whole different world. I put those things on these various group sites, you know, the various groups, and most of them take them. I mean, they don't even censor them. They, they just pop up when I post them because they've got to know me. And whenever I comment, they put a star, a bright star by my name, you know. And I've even gotten political lately. I've gotten political and they love it. They love it. I've gotten more comments over my political stuff than anything, but there's still presentations. They're like the last one I put up there was about the media, about how the media is socialist, you know, and uh, all but Fox and all this stuff. And here we are in the paranormal. and, And I know for a fact that most of them are Democrats. The paranormal is full of Democrats, but they love it. They love it. Yep. And uh, and and they treat me like royalty. I mean, uh, except for a couple who have dismembered me, you know, <laughs> because I speak the truth. And some of those obviously are are mostly all Democrats. In fact, some of them have actually said that. Uh, one of the one of the places that accept my stuff had a guy come on there and start bad mouthing me like n- no nothing. You know, I said, look, you know, uh, uh, are you? I think you're a, you're a, you're a leftist, you know, you're a leftist. Well, 
the administrator of the group, right? He immediately cut out what everything that guy said first, you know, <laughs> what I was responding to. And uh, I, I, I wonder what happened. So I asked him, and he, so he told me, you know, he says, I'm not going to have that kind of talk in here. It had to do with masks, okay, about this coronavirus stuff. And I was saying, you know, I don't wear a mask anywhere. I'm not going to wear a mask. I refuse to wear a mask. I've never worn a mask. And I says, one reason is Same because, here. first of all, it's ridiculous. It's totally ridiculous. A mask is not going to protect you from anything from a virus. A virus is going right through that mask, coming or going, right through it. And uh, and he was saying, yep. no, 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 you got to wear a mask. That's why I asked. You must be a leftist. You know? Forget the mask. It's going to go into your eyeballs. I mean, unless you like, got a mask for each eyeball, you, right. you kind of screwed That's anyway. Right. So. And, and, and it's so obvious that the reason why people wear that is because of a socialist indoctrination and that entire virus is hyped yeah it's a real virus but it's entirely hyped i mean in, in every way you can imagine it's hyped by the damn socialist media and that's what it's all about and stupid people are indoctrinated by it it's not just the socialist communist media fauci said don't wear it and then do wear it right and then the lockdown he helped do that too the funniest part about it is he had money in the Wuhan Institute, okay? Yeah. It's a bioweapons attack like the flu. Well, yeah. It the, doesn't the whole, matter. The real purpose of it is to kill off people who are non-producers. Yes. And, and it isn't really working all that well, but that's what it was designed not. for. Yeah. It's not. And also to make sure Trump doesn't get elected, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and I'm the foremost expert only on one thing, brother, <laughs> my opinion. Um, uh, I, I will tell you this. Um, that thing really drives me nuts because it's become a political weapon. And you're seeing it with the rhinos, uh, governors. You're seeing it with the neo. Look, here's how I look at it. And it may drive Angel nuts or anybody else nuts. But here is the reality of this. Neocons and neoprogs have the same goals, always. And, and when I say neoprogressives, neoprogs, I mean Antifa. Neocons, they're the ones who want war, and so do neoprogs, like Hillary and like Biden. Uh, the neocons, they may ancillarily have ties to uh, white supremacists or whatever. Whatever the false dichotomy they throw out. Because there is no left-right paradigm. Everybody forget, Nazis were national socialists. And let me use the German phrase before I use the English. National socialist, Deutsches Abbot. Party. National Socialist Workers Party. Stuken die Steifen. Yeah. <laughs> and Hail Hydra. And yeah, Hail Hydra, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, the whole point is this is the real deal. And it's not a left right paradigm. It's put your arms out straight to your left and your right, and then raise them over your head slowly where your fingertips join. That's where National Socialist and Communist live at the fingertip. Those two fingertips mean mass death. If you yep. don't realize it right now, 
there's no left right paradigm well hell you know there is going to be they're going to be a, a big big there's going to be like a civil war i just feel that coming back the only thing that would would keep it from happening is if well it has to happen anyway if uh trump managed to win i'm gonna vote for him definitely not <laughs> voting for biden my god <laughs> here's something we all learned very quickly in iraq Afghanistan during my time there before I went to Iraq in 2005 and six. You could be a slick dude in Afghanistan back then. Uh, the beginning of it, everything would be fine. You blend in. They're more worried about killing off their enemies in country, not you. Then Iraq 2005 and six. Watch it all on TV. Yeah, well. It, it's not TV when you're there. And no, it's not. Here's here's the thing about it is it's about not being in the same space and time as that high velocity projectile trying to be in the same space and time as you. So it's chance. So the well, how, how the heck do you do that? Well, the government can spend millions of dollars on you. And my wound I got was coming back from vacation with my wife and um or you're ta you're stationed there i yeah, mean you I were was, stationed there but i was working there i wasn't stationed your wife was over there no my, i went and took a vacation for 45 days in europe with my wife okay where was the vacation in the states no it was in europe oh. uh munich uh we went through uh munich Passau. All the way to the Black Sea and back. Uh, had a very good vacation because that was the first time I could go across uh, two former Soviet nations. So somebody shot you in the ass, huh? No, 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 no. It was a mortar round. A mortar round. Errant. Okay. Yeah, it was an errant splinter that just split my stomach open. Yeah. And I'll never forget it. It bounced off, cut my belly open a little bit. It was funny. Uh, the other two mortars were duds. And I walked out of one gate at the embassy annex in Baghdad and walked through the other. Nobody said shit to me in or out. And when I walked in, I saw the mortar round that was a dud on top of the man. A uh, man is a type of uh, vehicle the Germans make for firefighting. Those little stubby man, things. Yeah, and that man vehicle had the mortar round and the slight bar. And I said, hey, that mortar that didn't go off is in there. And this dude's loading up one of our old breadbasket um, ambulances. And this dude's loading up, I believe it was... Uh, bags of you know like whatever they put in your arms when you're bleeding out or whatever and he's putting those in and i'm like hey man you need to go look get eod over here uh explosive ordnance disposal and he looks at me and he goes his eyes get big the first thing when he looked at me and he goes you're bleeding it was under my vest my uh 511 pants and so they were covered in blood and i put my hand to my belly once he said that and i saw the blood and then i felt the heat the pain and i'm like yeah I'm, i guess i'm 
bleeding. And here's the funny thing. I was working for SAIC at the time. Scientific, Scientific Applications Investors Corporation, which is the the corporate face of the CIA. And I'm like, yep, I guess I'm leaking. And it was funny. I felt the pain. And then him and another guy happened to be walking out of the defect at the embassy annex. And I basically was like, uh, and went weak in the knees. I don't really remember much, but I remember they were like, the doctor there was like, oh, it's the right side. You know, the right side of where the appendix lives. And he says, I'm going to pull your appendix. And I'm like, my appendix is fine. You don't need to pull. And as that happened, that's when I fell asleep. But what I remember thinking was, you don't need to pull it out. Well, you know, guess what a lot they, of doctors want to, want to remove your appendix for no reason because uh, it's cool, it's easy. And in the in stateside, you know, in, the, in regular hospitals, they make a lot of money for a very simple operation. Well, guess what? I, I meant pull it out. They had put me in the cash, combined armed services hospital. And so officially, in the record... My wound, which was superficial, it didn't even cut my silver skin. It is listed as acute appendicitis. That's for real. Well, I, I imagine that, yeah. Well, first yeah. of all, doctors don't know what the hell they're doing. They really don't. Uh, I proved that to myself. That's just what they do. I mean, that's why I don't trust the government. You add the, the government to doctors, and then you've got a problem. And that is the bigger issue finish up the harassment and then how it worked out for the good for you guys i guess That's well nice. it worked out good and it worked out bad because uh i really did lose that money they really did pay me back you know uh they indicted me i got past it uh they haven't bothered me in that particular spec and at the moment it's like a miracle that agency <laughs> Still haven't told me who they are. They hired me, okay? Because they found out that I was pretty good at seeing things the way they are, especially in the paranormal. They hired me, paid me good, to unravel some cases for them in the paranormal, and I did. And and it was absolute. Uh, I I showed them all kinds of things which they couldn't see, and that's you know I won't go into all that, but I got paid pretty good for that. And then and then uh, then you know I did that, and it was over. And Travis didn't know anything about any of this stuff. You know he never never knew. He didn't even believe it. Uh, in fact, I never knew. I never even told him about this. Now there was a guy over in in, in San Francisco that I did tell about it, and he was amazed by it, but uh, uh, I never even bothered to tell Travis because uh, he just, he's already jealous of me, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't have believed it. He never even believed that a government agency was still surveilling him and still surveilling me, and I'm sure they still are, but they haven't showed their face in quite a while. In fact, what I heard was that the guy, his name was Norman. I don't know if that was uh, his real name or not, but that's the name he used. My granddaughter at the time, uh, I've got a whole bunch of pictures. She drew the guy. She was the only one in my family that saw him. And she drew these pictures of him. It looked, it's a spitting image. And she was two years old at the time. As long as his last name wasn't Bates, you know, Norman Bates, you'd be okay. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> 
I never even knew his last name. He just went by Norma. <laughs> okay. And I heard that he had been sent somewhere way far away because he had become my friend and they found out about it. So nobody talks to me. I just know that they're still surveilling me. And that's where this story ends. I haven't heard from yeah. anybody in a while. Uh, in fact, Norman told me at one time, just before they hauled him away, was that uh, the government believes the original incident, the encounter of me and the guys, including Travis at the time, uh, they believe that. The federal government believes that. And so we're not harassed anymore. But they did tell me that they still have questions about Travis Walton. Why? I mean, <laughs> well, I don't get that. There's because that's the way the federal government this. is. You know, you got you to gotta prove themselves uh, coming and going and then some before they believe anything. Looking back at it, what have you learned as far as, you know, taking a look at the, the overall spectrum of, you know, the phenomenon itself uh, when it comes to, like, uh, the truth embargo that the government has on this subject? I've got some... Uh, concepts and some proof concerning that stuff. Uh, Philip Klaas was hired, hired, definitely. And they did that because he had done some things that uh, looked like espionage. And so they hung him with it. But what they did is they straddled him with this job of being a skeptic. Now, he already was a skeptic, so he found it pretty easy to do. But he was uh, being told what to do directly by the government. And I don't even know who the government is. In the meantime, okay, I have two uh, retired colonels, you know, who, in the Air Force, and they have told me, you know, that the Phoenix Lights thing was a hoax. Uh, they wouldn't exact. They wouldn't go into it specifically, but they said it was hired. It was contracted. Somebody was contracted, and the thing was built. Okay. Uh, it was a hoax for a purpose of the government getting public reaction. And in fact, did you know that the government has the power to change the direction of the wind? Because that's exactly what happened that night. The documentation that I have, which proves that all this stuff, okay, the wind was blowing in the wrong damn direction. And the one place that has been highly well known for uh, testing ground for all this weather change stuff, wind stuff, uh, they did something because there is a dead airspace that particular night. These weather charts and everything show it. A dead airspace right over Oklahoma. Okay. And that diverted the normal wind that would gone, would have gone from the southwest. You know, because we normally get that time of year, which is a very windy time of year. Okay. March 13th. I just dead center of the, of the uh, wind in Arizona, especially. It, it goes out of the southwest and it blows hard. It was blowing hard again, too, but it was blowing from the northwest, okay? Yeah, a complete 90-degree angle from there. And, and, of course, curved down, excuse me, curved down over Arizona, slowly curved back around, and then when you look at the big map, it's curved right back around and met with, uh, you know, the wind, you know, in the jet stream, the lower jet stream here we're talking about, uh, which is where, where that object was, the lower jet stream. Everybody thought it was much lower. It wasn't. I have ascertained that myself personally. I've talked to everybody. I've, I have investigated that damn thing uh, ever since. And uh, it just brought out so many amazing things. So many amazing things. Things nobody's ever even heard about. And I can't tell them because they don't want to hear it. You know, well, the paranormal. They don't want to hear it. None well, of them. Here's, here's one thing I'll ask you real quick. Philip Class, I believe. He's dead. Uh, he had a mentee that wanted to continue this on you. That's the problem with the federal government at this point. And I do believe this. It's the deep state. It's institutional memory. I've seen it. It breaks my heart because people get vindictive in the federal government if they can't get their way. Mm -hmm. And 
they're just regular people. There's a reason why I left federal service. And it was because of that kind of bullshit. And you and I can both laugh about it as joyful warriors. But honestly, this kind of stuff needs to stop. And I don't see a way it stops under Biden. It'll continue and get worse. And he'll probably even bring back Comey. But but even Trump being elected is, is only going to stave this off for like four more years. Four maybe. years. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Right. And so these, these forces are so strong. You know, the damn uh, federal government, you know, mostly Democrats, borrowed over $20 trillion from the red Chinese. That's a statistical fact. And uh, it was exactly. Uh, yeah. And now because those people who did that in the Democratic Party, Democrat, I, I hate that word Democratic because that means they're they're the furthest thing from democratic okay <laughs> commie-crat yeah commie-crat yeah anyway the red chinese have a, a damn good reason to believe that they already own this country because they bought it already and they already own the socialist media i mean the all the media except for fox and and, and they're working on fox oh fox hell is, yeah uh, working under tremendous pressure yeah tucker carlson well, tucker, he's yeah. a, he's he's another uh Patriot, uh, I I can only imagine what the hell they're putting him through, and the and the whole corporation box, you know, well, tremendous Tuck, pressure. Tucker Carlson handled the business with Brisma with the gentleman Bublinski or something like that. Uh, his name, I probably butchered it. it. It's horrible what they've done to him, and he's a lifelong not. Carlson, but Bublinski. And it's horrible what they've done to him, vilifying him. And yet yeah. he's only voted and been friends with Democrats, commiecrats. And nobody sees the CCP. They don't see the tentacles, how it reaches. Uh, I think we're doomed. All said and done, we're just doomed. No, the best we're not. Can ha- I mean, we're not doomed totally, but because even even if that even if uh, Biden was to win, they will do it slowly. They don't want to arouse suspicions or make it. They, they want to make it look like, especially at first, it's like, a, well, see, you guys are all wrong. You know, Biden's just a good guy. <laughs> Bullshit. I mean, they'll go out slowly, but I tell you what, within eight months, a year. If Biden wins, this country will be communist. I mean, not just socialist, communist. And people like me, I play a big part still. I'm, I'm still healthy, but they'll take me out and shoot me. I know yeah, it. There's the longer term that um, you have about two years. I told you about the one thing um, where I said six months to a year. It's about two years on that one. Um, there's you hope, time. You hope. No. No, it's reality. Look, it's like steering the Titanic. You can't do it uh, major hollow field when I was in the military. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a can't severely... steer around that iceberg very quickly. It doesn't even matter. You're going to hit it. Exactly. It's small turns. and Still going to sink. Yeah, but that's the bureaucracy. And that's what I'm trying to say to you, brother, is it's not <laughs> it's not so quickly to be sunk. Um, yeah, I hope if, so. At, I if, really at, if Atlas falls, jump in my pocket, you'll get out. And that's all I'll say on that one. Uh, <laughs> what do you mean by that? But, <laughs> uh, well, it's an old 
It's an old joke. Why would I want to jump in your pocket? (laughs) Jump in the pocket. Oh, in the pocket. Yeah. You said your pocket. Okay. Jump into my pocket. It's not a quick sink. And that's where, unless they've done something that I don't know, but right now I'm pretty clued in. But Well, there's only one thing about it that, that... it makes sense to me. Just one thing. This earth is getting overflowing with people, okay? And that's the reason, I mean, if, if there was any good reason at all, the climate is changing, the air is changing, uh, there's too many people, and that's why, okay? Uh, I don't know what how to fix that. I mean, apparently only the communists have the, have the answer. Just kill everybody off, right? But I don't want that to happen, you know? I, I think that there are ways to manage that, okay, if they could just do it right. I mean, Red China already has a strict program of how many kids you can have, and if you do it, if you don't, they'll either shoot you or they'll kill your kid, whatever. Uh-huh. But uh, we can do that here, right here, and I'd be the first one. To <laughs> I have nine kids, you know, Gosh. because I don't, I don't think we've seen the end of this virus thing at all. Uh, and that's worldwide, and it is killing a lot of people. Yeah. But they're they're gonna they're gonna continue to develop that to where it gets even worse and stronger. Maybe a whole different type of bug carried the same way, but all for the same purpose to get rid of the population. I agree. And with that being said, we have another conversation. This should happen. Well, I'm game, and I yeah. I think highly of you for what you went through. And before we close this out, thank you, folks, for stopping by Kaiser's Castle. As you creep on out the door on this Halloween spooky night, 